like the Los Angeles surfers and the waves like or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the, the LA hikers would have been them. Like it would have been so bad. It would have been such a bad name. Hello everybody. And welcome into another edition of there's a lot going on. The only podcast that would have rebranded both the Clippers and the Lakers when they moved to Los Angeles. I'm David Arroyo, joined as always by my co-host Tom Shively. Tom, another exciting week of NBA basketball. We're going to stick to the NBA again this week, but first, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. We got to talk, right? Clippers named after sailboats. LA, not a boating town. Come on. And I don't know anyone who, you... who goes boating in Los Angeles. You know anyone that goes to the lake in Los Angeles? Come on. Good. No. Blast the lake. The lake is the Pacific Ocean. Like, come on now. Yeah, be better, Los Angeles. But we were, we were hashing through like potential name changes, and the best we could come up with was stars. So like, maybe Clippers, Lakers are the better option. Let's be honest. If 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 it had gone down right, the Lakers would have been like the stars. The Clippers would have been like the surfers. Like the Los Angeles surfers and the waves like or something, yeah, yeah, or like the the L.A. hikers would have been them. Like it would have been <laughs> so bad. It would have been such a bad name. Eventually, they would have rebranded to like to Los Angeles Juice Bars, and we would have hated it, and it would have just been terrible. But it is what it is, you know. Clippers, Lakers, I guess it works. But Clippers should think about going back to Los Angeles. I mean, if they really want to appease their star, they'll move back to Los Angeles. Back to San Diego. Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry, San Diego, San Diego, Los Angeles. They're very different, but people think they're like right next to each other. I mean, they are kind of. They're not at all. It's like three hours to get from one to the other. They're very yeah, far in, away. In the grand scheme of the NBA, though, come on, that's next door neighbors practically. I, in the grand scheme of the NBA, where it doesn't even matter because San Diego doesn't have a team. I mean, what, what are we really talking about here? Maybe they should think about moving to Seattle, but then Kawhi Leonard would definitely leave this summer. So can't do that one either. Well, Tom, we're going to be talking NBA playoffs and we're, of course, going to start with the game that you and I are so diametrically opposed on, and that is the Suns and Lakers. So since we last spoke, when we last spoke, the Suns were up 1-0 on the Los Angeles Lakers. Things have changed drastically since then. The Lakers won the next two games, and it was looking like the Suns might fall apart because Chris Paul looked like he couldn't play basketball anymore. His shoulder looked like it was really bothering him. They really struggled in games two and three. They kept it close, kept it competitive, but at the end of that game three that the Lakers took, there was some chippiness. The Suns were starting to get ejected. They looked like they were losing their way a little bit and then mm-hmm. they come back today game four they take down the lakers in staples center 100 to 92 series is all tied up and chris paul looked like himself he had 18 points three rebounds nine boards and on the other side again talking about an injury in this series anthony davis left this game with a groin strain it sounds like he will probably play in game five but if he doesn't play that would completely change this series yeah and and you kind of hit on it with how different Phoenix looks without Chris Paul. I think even the tail end of game one, you definitely saw it in game two and three. Those issues are accentuated more for Los Angeles without Anthony Davis. You know, I'd say they're both very important to their team's success, but I think losing Davis fundamentally changes the way the Lakers have to play in the series. And you saw the Suns in that second half feed DeAndre Ayton. He got whatever he wanted inside, especially in that third quarter when they kind of built that lead. I think they got up to somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 points, I think was their biggest lead in the fourth. And it's just not having AD. Obviously, he'd been dealing with 
with issues for, you know, it was questionable if he'd even play game four. I think it was a knee injury, though, so not a different injury than his groin injury. But to me, it's kind of been the common theme with the Lakers all season. As you come in, you come off the short rest from last season's NBA Finals, only 70 days. You know, we saw Miami get swept out of the first round. We'll talk about that series later. But those teams that didn't get to rest a lot, here they are, and they're banged up in the postseason. And yeah, I think injuries on both sides are playing into the series, and you hate for that to happen because... I think it would have been a great series if everybody was healthy. I think it still is going to be a great series, but there's always going to be that what if kind of on both sides now. Well, yeah, I, I'll start with the Suns, right? When Chris Paul has played this series, I think the Suns have looked like the better team, but it's hard to really evaluate it because in one of the games, Anthony Davis only played 19 minutes because of an injury. So it's hard to then evaluate and say, well, this team's better, that team's better, especially because the Lakers really cut into that deficit even after they lost Anthony Davis and were able to keep it close and keep it competitive late into the game. Yeah, they Double got some digits garb- for most of the fourth quarter. Well, they, they got some garbage time minutes that, you know, helped them make it look more presentable. But I, I'm saying they still fought and they still look good. I think the big concern right now, if you're the Lakers Yes, you need Anthony Davis, but the reason you're relying on Anthony Davis and LeBron James so much right now, because LeBron has put up three really good performances since that game one, kind of a a bit of a clunker. Their role players have been awful in this series. Dennis Schroeder today, 3 of 13. Kyle Kuzma, 4 for 11. Alex Crusoe, only 3 of 8. Like they, They have not looked good, and these are the guys you brought in to take some of the pressure off of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Wesley Matthews has really been the only guy who's looked even, you know, who's looked good at any point in this series. You know, even KCP has looked bad. He didn't even play today, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he got hurt at some point in the series because he's not not even listed as the, uh, under a DMP. But, like, the role players have got to step up now, especially if Anthony Davis is going to miss any sort of time. Because, yes, LeBron James in the past has shown an ability to carry teams to the finals. This is not the same kind of teams he's played in the past. This Phoenix Suns team is the two seed for the reason, and they are title contenders, and you need your full cast of characters to be able to beat them. Yeah, I think you look at, you, you think about some of those role players you got double figures from Payne, Bridges, and Crowder today for Phoenix. So you're kind of seeing the opposite of what LA. You got 17 from Crowder, who had been having his fair share of struggles. He was two for 20 from three in the first three games, but knocked down some shots today when they needed them and kind of felt like a little bit of a revenge game for Crowder because he kind of got punked in game three by LeBron. And I, I think for Jake Crowder, he seemed to be enjoying himself today a little bit. And, and Phoenix kind of as a whole, I think, they kind of felt like they were written off after game three. And, you know, you come in, you see 30-plus from Anthony Davis, dominant in game two and three, and you start to look, hey, LA's got all this size. You know, what are the Suns going to do? Chris Paul's not 100%. But they came out, and even when Davis was on the floor, you know, they battled. They were ahead at halftime. They were up four at half when Davis played. So it's not like they were, you know, getting their butts handed to them and then and then came out and turned it around. But it'll be interesting. Obviously, the big question mark is Davis and kind of how – how he adjusts because I, I I don't necessarily see the Lakers winning the series if AD can't play. Well, yeah, the the super weird thing right now with the Lakers, I'm happy you brought up Anthony Davis again. Is I, I think we're at a point where we have to start considering the idea that LeBron James is no longer the best player in basketball because 
when I look at the Lakers, right, their best player is Anthony Davis. Their most important player is LeBron James because LeBron James is the leader of the team. He facilitates all the offense. So they can't win a title without LeBron, but they also can't win a title without Anthony Davis because he is now their best player. They run their offense through Anthony Davis. They give the ball to Anthony Davis when they need a basket. And that is an obvious delineation from what we've seen from LeBron James throughout his entire career where Oh, we need a basket. Just give it to LeBron. Like maybe he's not healthy. Maybe he, you know, he mentioned maybe never being 100% again. And maybe that was more him saying, my body is never going to get back to what people have known it to be. And he's looked good in this series in terms of health. But I think it's clear he is, he hasn't lost a step, but like he also appears to be losing a step a little bit. And Anthony Davis has been the young, spry, you know, Anthony Davis can go get us 30. I don't have to go get us 30. And can LeBron still probably go out there, get 30, 40, 50 if he has to? Yeah, probably. But he doesn't want to have to do that this early in the playoffs. And I think if he has to do it this early in the playoffs, that could pose some trouble later if they can even get out of the series, which is the thing. He's like, this Lakers team is going to have to give it everything they have to even get out of this series. And who knows how that affects the health of everyone on this team because they were limping out of this game today. Yeah, it kind of felt game one, they just didn't play well. And I think people chalked it up to... They were awful. Bad game from LeBron, bad game from AD. Phoenix, you know, we even said on the pod, Phoenix felt like did everything right in game one. And not to say they lucked into a win, but it's kind of like everything that had to go right went right for Phoenix. This game just felt like the Suns were the better team from tip. And that's the larger concern if you're LA because you lose home court advantage now. Obviously, they're going back to Phoenix you got to wonder about AD. It's a short turnaround. We talked about with Chris Paul between games one and two, how short of a turnaround that was. Now you got the same thing going back for game five with Anthony Davis. So who knows what's going to happen? And even if he does play, if he's going to be 100%, I think Phoenix is going to have to take control of that. Aiton's going to have to be huge inside like he was in the second half. Maybe you start bringing Harrell back into the mix. I don't know. That's a little weird to me for LA that he hasn't played that much in this series. I think you got to go Gasol more than Drummond if you're the Lakers inside. I think he matches up better with Aiton if Davis doesn't play, but that'll be kind of interesting to see how how that side of it will play out on the defensive end, kind of how you mark up inside. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think Gasol's got to get more minutes than Drummond, which he did today. He played 23 to Drummond's 19. I think Harrell's a complete liability in this series. I think you put him out there in the pick and roll against Devin Booker and Chris Paul. He's just going to get torched in the same way DeAndre Ayton's been getting a little bit torched on defense when they put him in the pick and roll, which is why you need to play more Mark Saul because he can exploit that matchup a lot more uh, with DeAndre Ayton on the floor. I, I just, I, I, if the Lakers lose game six or game five, excuse me, which is a possibility. They're going to need to get two incredible LeBron James performances, which is why in my that's it's why I still lean the Lakers, because if you're asking me to bet on LeBron James or another player in the league, I'm still going to bet on LeBron James. But it's concerning that they're going to be without, you know, his wingman, his his one B, if you will potentially for game five and even if he's out there he might not be himself who knows how good he's going to be going forward in the rest of this series and it's going to make for a fun series I just wish these guys would be healthy so we could see what this matchup really is when everyone's out there on the court yeah it's kind of like all right Chris Paul's maybe getting his his wings under him a little bit played really well tonight and then oh the other star now is hurt and, and may miss some time so 
it's just kind of funny and unfortunate how that works for what a lot of people I'm sure was the most interesting series of the first round and still interesting for different reasons, but you obviously want to see the best players on the court in the postseason, And that's not the case here. All right. Well, let's transition then to another interesting series. And that is a game that finished up late last night. That would be the Utah jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies. So Again, we'll recap. When we recorded last week, we were slandering the Utah Jazz and the French Fry Fraud because they lost game one. The Memphis Grizzlies came out hot. There have been two games since. Utah has won both of them. And most importantly, Donovan Mitchell has played in both. Uh, So he came back for game two. He was okay. I mean, I I guess he was good because he had like 20. I think he he only played like 22, 23 minutes. So he was on a little bit of a restriction. He's still bald. And I'm pretty sure he had a point in every minute he played, if I'm not mistaken. So he played well in that game, and then he came out game three. And in a game where the Grizzlies made it close late, they tied it up with some with an incredible performance from Grayson Allen. Uh, but late in that game, Donovan Mitchell made a couple clutch buckets, was facilitating the offense, was kind of the difference maker they needed to take the 121 to 111 victory in game three. And now it looks like Utah, to me, is starting to take control of this series, despite how fun and exciting the Grizzlies are. Yeah, I mean, it's been the recipe for Utah all year. They knocked down 17 threes a game, NBA record, and, and you can see kind of they hit, I think, north of 20 maybe in game two, and they hit a bunch yesterday last night too. And it, it just feels like Utah is kind of falling back into what, what got them the best record in the NBA in the regular season. And you, and you kind of see the difference between, you know, John Morant's been phenomenal in the playoffs, but someone like Mitchell who's won series, who's had that playoff experience a few years under his belt, kind of with those, not, not that he's a veteran, but a guy who's been in the league for a few years kind of making those plays. And you have somebody like Mike Conley, who has a ton of experience playing in Memphis, is knocking down threes for you. It just kind of feels like, yeah, the Utah Jazz are are, are getting their footing a little bit after a tough game one, which, I mean, no Mitchell, you can't really blame him for losing. And I think Dylan Brooks has got to stop fouling out. It's tough because I think Mitchell's doing a phenomenal job of getting him up in the air and getting him into uncomfortable situations. But Brooks on the floor versus Brooks off the floor has, has been night and day for Memphis, and they got to find a way to get him active defensively but not fouling out which is tough when you go up against Mitchell well that's the thing too I heard this listening to the radio broadcast that apparently this season Dylan Brooks fouled out a lot and that was just kind of his mo that he fouls out a lot in basketball games because he plays so aggressively and he, he it seems like he doesn't know how to dial it back where he gets a couple fouls and like and you've seen it this series like just an inability to dial it back when he gets into foul trouble like if you get Brooks into foul trouble he's probably going to foul out of the game because he he's 130% at all times so that's one I think huge thing to watch I just think the addition of Donovan Mitchell again he only played 30 minutes yesterday had 29 points he was 9-11 from the free throw line so he was able to get some easy baskets at the line when they needed them and just having him facilitate the offense you said Mike Conley he had seven threes yesterday and that feels like something he can continue to do because with Donovan Mitchell out there on the floor, he's drawing a lot of the attention of the defense, which is it's what allowed Utah to do what they've done all year, like you mentioned, making 17 threes a game. Uh, 
the one thing though I'm looking forward to throughout the for the rest of this series because I feel like it's going to happen at one point and Twitter is going to explode. John Morant is trying to dunk Rudy Gobert into the Earth's core. And if he does it once this series, Twitter will absolutely explode. It's going to be a fantastic moment in Twitter history if John Morant puts Rudy Gobert on a poster. And I'm rooting for it. I really want him to do it. He was so close to doing it last night. If not for the fact Rudy Gobert fouled him, he would have done it. And I'm hoping he does it. I'm hoping. I am. I'm Tom, I'm looking for it. I want it so bad. If he goes like one for 25, the one's the only thing that matters. So, you know, it's, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I think that's the saying. So, you know, keep going, job. We're, we're rooting for you. Did you see his dad's quote, by the way, about his 43-point performance? It wasn't enough. I, I, I saw it. I don't remember what he said verbatim, but like, he's like, should have scored more. So, well, those lines. so, so he scored 43, and his dad's quote after the game was, well, if he scored 60, they would have won. So, I mean, fantastic quote. I, I love his dad's energy of, I mean, he scored 43, but he caught the L, so what's it really matter? Like, I, I like it. I, I like that energy. And it just reminded me of that quote from John Morant where he said, my dad was my first hater. Yeah. And it is proving itself on national television that that, that is correct. Man, we could, have seen, we could have seen the Warriors get swept by the Jazz, but we're getting this instead. So, you love to see it. All right, Tom, let's transition then to another Western Conference series, and that would be a series that is all tied up at two apiece now after the Portland Trailblazers in Game 4 took down the Denver Nuggets 115-95. to This is another series, back and forth. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the the Blazers got Game 1. Tom, yep. remember yep. it? So Blazers got Game 1, Nuggets got the next two, and then the Blazers came back and responded game four win at home. Uh, I think the big, my big takeaway from this game, I mean, Damian Lillard did not play well. He was one of 10, had 10 points, 10 assists, almost had a triple double actually, despite how poorly he played. But the big story here, Nikola Jokic only had 16 points. And I think I saw a statistic that when he was defended by Yusef Nurkic, he only had like two makes on the entire game. So if the Blazers have somehow found a way to slow down Nikola Jokic. This series is over if they know any way to slow down Jokic because no team's been able to do it all season. Well, I mean, Nurkic had a fair amount of success on him in game one and and Jokic got his in game two. You know, they won that like you would have expected them to, but he was battling foul trouble most of game three and Jokic had 36 then. And then you have Nurkic kind of at his full capacity in game four. So I think to a certain extent, they kind of have figured Jokic out, and they got a unreal shooting performance from Austin Rivers in Game Three. You know, it just kind of felt like they were knocking everything down, and that to me isn't necessarily a sustainable style. I think Portland just playing—you kind of hit the nail on the head with Dame not having his best game, and you saw, you know, McCollum having a good game, Carmelo stepping in, just just enough guys Norman to kind Powell, of get it done. Norman Powell having a good game, yeah, exactly, just like. Guys stepping up to get it done for Portland. They're just deeper than Denver. I think they're healthier than Denver. And, you know, a lot like you see in, in the Lakers and the Sun Series. You're When you one of your best two players is hurt, it, it's tough to win in the postseason. That's kind of what Denver's having to deal with. You know, Campazzo's been about as good as you could probably expect him to be in this series. But they, they just don't have the weapons, I think, to contend with Portland. And, and, and nothing I saw over the weekend in those last two games kind of made me think otherwise. Well, yeah, like you mentioned, the... 
the Blazers really stepped up their defense collectively in game four, but specifically the thing they did was they actually mirrored at some point. They started mirroring the Nurkic and Jokic minutes. So they played the exact same number of minutes, and anytime Jokic was on the floor, they were playing Nurkic as well. And I think it's an interesting strategy going forward. He's a guy he's obviously familiar with having played together in Denver before he got traded. So I'm sure they practiced a lot together. You probably know some of his tendencies. And I just think, you know, I had thought adding Robert Covington would boost this defense a little bit. And he was more of a difference maker there in game four than he had been the rest of the series. But again, I'm kind of with you, the bench depth with Carmelo Anthony, uh, what he brings you as a bench scorer. And he made some huge buckets in game one, if we look back. He, he's he's made clutch shots this, this series. It's what he's done his entire career. And I just think late game situations, I trust the personnel of the Blazers more than I trust the personnel for the Nuggets, despite the fact that the Nuggets were in the, you know, pretty close to the Western Conference Finals last year. But that seems like that's, oh wait, they were in the Western Conference Finals last year. They Sorry, yeah. how dare I? How dare I? It was the year before they got close to the Western. They beat, a, they beat a certain team from Los Angeles, if you don't remember. No, after, yes, that, after thank trailing you. three to one. I, for some reason, thing, I mean, my brain forgot all the slander we did. Like Gordon and Porter Jr. nine total in Game Four. L. Those 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 are option two A and two B. Like that, it's just not going to work. And I hate to harp on it again, but if your backcourt is Rivers and Campazzo, you're not going to win a playoff series. And Jokic, maybe you'll prove me wrong, but I, I, I feel if I'm Portland, I'm pretty comfortable right now. Uh, Monte Morris and Howard played uh, 27, 25 and 27 minutes, respectively. That is not a recipe for winning a playoff series. Uh uh, Coach Michael Malone's got to figure out what he's got here, but I mean, throw Bull Bull out there. Just throw an insanely tall lineup out there and just see what happens. Because what they're doing right now, yeah, it's all tied up. Uh, they haven't looked good, and it hasn't looked pretty. Like the the two games they won were more of a product of bad Blazers performances to me, and unreal shooting as well from Austin Rivers in that one game. Then it was something that is sustainable over a seven game series, and. You've swayed me. I think the Blazers will eventually pull this series out. There we go. I just got to work on getting you to pick Phoenix now. All right, I got you, Portland. We'll We'll see if we can get that in mind. Not happening. Uh, Tom, <laughs> as we record, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers and Dallas Mavericks are currently on television. They're about a minute and a half from halftime, and the Clippers are actually up 57 to 40. So as you record, it looks like this series could be tied by the end of the night, but let me get your thoughts on the series so far, even without knowing uh, where this is going. So obviously game one and two, the Mavericks, I mean, they dominated to say the least. It was looking like it was in control. The Clippers came back on Friday with a convincing 118 to 108 win. A big story out of that game was Luka Doncic. He had 44, nine and nine. But he had hurt his shoulder during the course of the game. Didn't really look the same after he had hurt his shoulder. His shot was still falling, but he looked uncomfortable out there. Huge performances, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And they're getting them, they're getting another one tonight from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And if they want to win this series, that's what they're gonna they're gonna continue to need their two stars to step up because they don't have a big man and they have no guards. Yeah, I mean, I think here was my first thought about the series is I think how well Kawhi Leonard is playing is kind of getting lost in 
Luca's shadow a little bit. He had 41 in game two. He had 36 in game three. Shot 67% in game two. He was 14 of 21 from the field. Game three, he was right up there as well. 13 of 17 from the field. So he's shooting efficiently. He's you know, kind of being the anchor that they need. So Go far ahead. tonight, Tom, he has 17 points on 8 of 10 shooting. So he's efficient. He's playing efficiently. He, you know, has gotten what he, he got 29, I think you said, from Paul George in game three. Like, it kind of feels like the Clippers are molding into what people thought they would be. And, and Luca kind of, you know, we saw it last year. Luca went nuclear a couple games and the Mavs were able to take a couple. And those two just happened to be the first two games in this series. But especially with the concerns, you know, it wasn't 100% Luca would play tonight. It kind of feels like the Clippers are rounding into who we thought they would be and 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 if you're getting 35 to 40 a night from Kawhi, you have to like your chances if you're la if you can get somewhere 25 ish from paul george you should be all right well and and right now luke is getting no help from his supporting cast i mean so far tonight porzingis has 10 but his supporting cast yeah well he's been terrible and outside of jalen brunson and at times tim hardaway this supporting cast is not really added much to what you're getting from Luka and it's it's been apparent they need more than just Luka Doncic which like obviously they're an NBA franchise you need more than just one guy to go nuclear to win basketball games so I I just think the way Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are playing right now it's likely the Clippers probably take this one in about six because the Mavericks are cooling off the Clippers are rounding back into who they were during the regular season they starting to figure out the Mavericks a little bit and it Again, I'd be surprised if they didn't win this series. Now, I think where it becomes interesting is in a potential matchup against the Jazz because I think the Jazz pose some serious matchup problems for the Clippers. But I guess you could probably say the same about the Clippers because of all the wings they have. And that's like they're trying to beat you with the wings, but they have no guards. They have no big man. I, 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 like, I still don't believe in the Clippers despite how good they've played these last two games. I I mean, yeah, you look at, like, Gobert's going to give them hell in the post if that's the matchup. Mitchell's going to get whatever he wants outside. You just got to hope that they outshoot the Jazz, I guess. that that That's your that's your prayer for the Clippers? Like, hope that Kawhi well, and PG go for 70 a night? Well, it's a hell of a matchup because you have one team, the Clippers, who are the best three-point shooting percentage team in the regular season, and then you have the other team who made the most threes per made game the during the regular season. So it's going to be bombs away from three, and let's see who comes out on top. Must watch, dude. I'd love that series. It'd be fantastic. And I think, if I had to guess, probably the series we end up getting, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. The, the most remarkable thing is it's the only series that I think can get America to root for the Clippers, which to me is the most valuable accomplishment of anything. So, yeah. you know, shout out Clippers for being the second most hated team of the NBA this year. Let's be honest, though. The ratings for that series would be... Uh, we don't care about the ratings, obviously, but the NBA does. The ratings would be terrible for that series. Because, one, you have Utah. And the, on the other side, you have the Clippers, who, if they were fun, would be interesting. Like, the Lob City Clippers always would get a good rating. But, like, the leader of that team is boring. Kawhi Leonard's the most boring star in the league. So the Clipper that that series would draw terrible ratings, despite how good the basketball would be. Yeah, too bad. If we cared about ratings, we would have wanted the Warriors. Come on. Exactly. Not our problem. That's the NBA's problem to deal with. All right, Tom. 
Let's transition now to the East. We'll start with the one series that you mentioned already. It's over, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks sweeping the Miami Heat. They brought the brooms out after a bit of a scare in Game 1, despite how bad Jimmy and Bam played. Uh, the Bucks locked it down. They, uh, I don't even know another way to put it. They dominated the Miami Heat for those next three games. Kawhi Leonard, after the win, said uh, that they didn't want to play with their food, which, hell of a quote from Great a team. Quote. Oh, hell of a quote from a team who has struggled not only against that Heat team, but some teams who had the personnel to play the wall against Giannis in the last couple of years. And I mean, just watching this series, it's a different Bucks team than in years past, which sounds obvious. But I think when people saw them as the three seed, they thought this was a worse Bucks team when in reality, this is the best Bucks team since Giannis has been there. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of looked at it as, oh, Miami got their way with them last year. And, you know, not completely, but it's it very much a similar Miami team to last year. And like, oh, they're going to give Giannis problems again. And can they kind of beat them from outside? And people thought this would be an interesting series. But, you know, see the impact of a guy like Drew Holiday that can have on that team. Middleton can go out and get his. Bryn Forbes was absurd in this series, which honestly, they're going to need that because they lost DiVincenzo. So they're going to need that to keep that production up, especially if they get the Nets in the second round, which it's probably going to happen. But um, I, I, they look different and they say what you will about the regular season. That was kind of the thing with them all year was like, you know, the regular success may not be there, but this is a team that's built to win in the postseason. And they've looked, them and Philly have probably looked the two best out of any team in this first round. There was, outside of that game one, complete effort in game two, complete effort in game three, complete effort in game four. Game three might have been the best game I've seen any playoff team play so far in this postseason. Maybe that game two even. I mean, they dropped 132 and held Miami under 100. I mean, just dominate. Like, that's what I'm saying. After that game one, it was complete and utter domination from Milwaukee. But it, Real quick on the Heat, since the last time we'll be able to talk about them before uh, next season, obviously, unless they make some offseason moves, which Heat fans are obviously hoping they do. Jimmy Butler, your star of the team, in to start the series, gave you 18% shooting and 17 points, and to end the series, gave you 12 points on 26% shooting. If he is going to be your leader, the guy who before the this playoff started said, just get me there and we'll be fine, you need to do a little bit better than 18% and 26%. That is atrocious. Never broke the 20-point marker this series. His most points in the series was 19 points. That is absurd from a guy who last season basically willed this team to the NBA Finals. And for him to go out there and put up that performance after saying that all you need to do is get me into the playoffs ludicrous i don't ever want to hear anything about jimmy butler and heat culture ever again when you're getting absolutely blasted by the milwaukee bucks in four games like they got blasted by this team four of 15 in an elimination game for jimmy butler is this your king miami come on and like they they like to slander Giannis for similar things and that is what they put up and the godfather pat riley assembled a team that had to rely on Trevor Ariza, Goran Dragic, an old Andre Iguodala. They were relying on Dwayne Dedman for big minutes off the bench. Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman might have been their best player in the series. Ridiculous. <laughs> like, Tyler, they wouldn't include Tyler Hero, allegedly, in James Harden packages. Really? 
like you you decided to hold on to Tyler Hero when his stock was the highest when you could have had James Harden. How different is this series if they have James Harden? They'd probably win the series if they have James Harden. Granted, probably not. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Probably not a six seed also, though. Probably not a six seed, but they don't have to rely so heavily on Jimmy Butler if they have James Harden. And when Jimmy Butler is your go-to player for 15, and I I, I saw something today that uh, someone someone tried to make a joke about a... Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler having similar playoff records, but like it, it, it kind of ignored uh, the fact that he was in Philly for like a year. So it, it, it's interesting. It's funny though. Like Jimmy Butler, the guy who clowns everyone for not being able to win, swept. Like I, I think I saw the last time the the Miami Heat won a series that wasn't in the bubble was 2016. It did yeah the D Wade when they beat uh oh they beat Charlotte that year I think it was yeah yeah I just I, this team was fraudulent all year I think some of us bought like even me I thought they'd get a game or two I thought it'd be a competitive series I think I might have said it goes seven I think even. I said six but like when it came down to it we knew who the Heat were and we should have just believed it they showed us all year who they were and everyone's like oh but injuries oh but this and that and. No, they were just a bad basketball. I mean, team. they were playing really well leading up to the playoffs. Like that—that that is fair, and I get why people had that thought. I think over the last fifteen games, they won like eleven or twelve of them. Like they were playing well going into the postseason, but man, they looked bad. All right, well, let's talk about a ser- another series that appears all but over after Game Three. Even their coach sounded like the series was over, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. And the Washington Wizards, so the Sixers took a 3-0 lead. They play tomorrow for a chance to sweep. Uh, Sixers won the most recent game, 132-103, to behind a playoff career high from Joel Embiid, 36 points in three quarters of play. He did not play in the fourth quarter in this basketball game. Russell Westbrook had a triple-double, but didn't really matter. It was his best game so far of the series, and I mean... The Sixers have looked absolutely dominant in this series, and I think if you're a Sixers fan, it's everything you've wanted to see from them to kind of, you know, they they had a major matchup advantage against the Wizards, and you wanted to see them, you know, dominate this series and just put them away quickly. Then they're not playing with their food, as Giannis would say. Maybe like a maybe like a team from Brooklyn has played with their food a little bit, but I mean, yeah, it's. It, it's not really about the Wizards, you know, you, you thought maybe they'd get one game, but outside of the game one, like first half, really, it's been it's been Philadelphia dominance, and you kind of said it, you're, you're getting what you want from Embiid, you're getting what you want from Simmons, from the role players, there's 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 nothing so far that, that hasn't gone according to plan if you're Philly, and I think, you know, Beal and Westbrook can only will you to so much if you're Washington, and you, and you kind of see some of those matchups, especially inside, kind of rear their head, and... It, it was a tough. It was a tough ask for Washington from the start, and yeah, it's probably going to be brooms out for them too tomorrow. I think the positive, if like the the big big positive, right? If you're the Sixers, is when you look at the starters. Each starter in this last game, double figures. They're shooting incredibly well from three-point land. Tobias Harris had two threes. Danny Green was five of nine from three. Embiid gave you three. Uh, from three. Seth Curry gave you another three, which allows Ben Simmons to operate more in the paint 
and it allows Embiid to operate more in the paint, frankly, because I saw someone break this down on Twitter, but he's doing a good job of recognizing double teams, and if it's not getting there quickly enough, turning around and just shooting the ball quickly and getting points, or if they are bringing it quickly, if they're overcompensating, he's just finding the open man and they're hitting threes because they're wide open. So, like, it's now becoming this thing where it's like, well, can we even double Joel Embiid? Because he's going to find the open guy. And I obviously, like, you continue to double Joel Embiid because you'd rather get bombed from three by guys, you know, because, you know, shooters can be streaky. You'd rather get bombed from three by Seth Curry, Danny Green, and Tobias Harris, as opposed to letting Embiid just go out there and, and you know, eat his lunch. But he did both this game. He had 36 points. Like, what are you supposed to do to defend this man? He just goes out there. There is now, there's maybe two players in the league who can defend Joel Embiid and give him trouble. Giannis and Anthony Davis. One of those guys is hurt. The other one, he might not have to play in the playoffs. I think he will have to play him. But, like, I, I just, I don't know who can defend this basketball team the way it's constructed. And it's a miracle after how badly constructed they were not a season ago. A year ago, we were talking about Al Horford and Josh Richardson and how we're going to make that work with this nucleus. And they turned that into Danny Green and Seth Curry and a, a sweep in the first round. They should sweep the Wizards. They might not. It might go five, but they should sweep the Wizards. Yeah, I think it's a tough ask, especially if you're getting the shooting in game three that you got, like you mentioned, from Harris, Green, and Curry. Like, they're not going to lose games if those guys can shoot that well from three. And and it comes kind of down to how sustainable that is. I think you can get that a couple games a series, but keeping that up for seven games would be, would be not unreasonable to say that, that would regress a little bit. And I think kind of when you start to look at that next matchup, really in the conference finals, whichever team they match up against, kind of that's what you have to be looking at if you're Philly is kind of what can we play out. I know a big thing for you last week was – they're playing too many guys off the bench. They're kind of figuring out that rotation. So my question to you, any progress on that? Kind of what are you thinking now, playoff rotation? Have they been able to work out some of those kinks? Are you still looking at 10, 11 guys off the bench? I know you you said eight or nine was your number. I think they know who their nine would be. I think they figured that out. Uh, they're still playing deep into their bench because... I mean, when you're up 27 points, like you're going to throw Isaiah Joe out there. Yeah, so... Yeah, they're still playing all bench lineups because they're basically treating the Wizards like a regular season game, which is allowing them to maximize the minutes out of their starters together because it's the, again, best starting unit in the league. And they may continue to do that. I just think in the wrong matchup, you play the bench unit on all bench unit for too long and you let another team who has one or two of their starters still out there start to build a bit of a lead on your bench. And then it's hard to then cut into that lead when all the starters are out there again. Uh, I think right now the nine would be the starting five. Dwight Howard has to be in there. Matisse Thibel has to be in there. And then it's probably Furkan Korkmaz because of his shooting and Tyrese Maxey because he's been the more reliable guard off the bench comparatively to Shake Milton. Shake Milton has been atrocious for like the last three weeks. And I just, at this point, they can't play him. It He's been really, really bad. And it's unfortunate because he... he after the bubble last year, I think people thought he'd be better than he hasn't. But also, I completely skipped over a guy. It wouldn't be Furkan Korkmaz. It'd probably, it'd probably be George Hill first off the bench before any of those other guys. So your four are George Hill, Dwight Howard, Tyrese Maxey, and Matisse Thibel. You potentially swap out 
Corkmox and Maxi if you need more shooting, but I think they probably are going to use Maxi more than they use Corkmox. Uh, you probably cut one of those guys at that point too if you want to go eight, and it'd, it'd be him. So whoever the ninth guy is would be the first cut. So there you go. Long way of saying those are my nine. All right, Tom, let's go to another series that seems all but decided, but you mentioned they were playing with their food a little bit, and that is the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics. They didn't play with their food today as they absolutely shellacked the Boston Celtics, 141 to 126, high-scoring affair. It looks closer than it is really was because, it's, again, late-time buckets. Jason Tatum did everything he could. He had 40 points, 7 boards, 5 assists. But Kevin Durant, dominant performance, 42 points, four rebounds, couple of assists. Kyrie added in another 39 points. He was 6 of 12 from three. And James Harden, ho-hum, 23 points, 18 assists. I mean, this is what you wanted to see from the Brooklyn Nets if you are somebody who thinks they have a chance to win the championship. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're doing the math at home, that's 104 points between the three of them, which uh, is more than the Celtics scored in game one. And... Uh, that kind of is what it is in Brooklyn. I want to hit game three real quick. I now feel validated as a man who cheers for the Celtics. I wanted to see them win one game. That was kind of the recipe you needed to win one game. Jason Tatum going for 50. Um, you know, maybe not the best shooting night from the Nets. Kyrie didn't have a very good game, but Celtics got one, so they're good. You know, you can go ahead losing your gentleman sweep, but it's fine. But I mean, 104 from the big three. Eh. That's the recipe, and it's just how how do you defend that? And, and that's kind of what, what they're running into. It's just there's too much offense on that team. The big three alone today would have beaten the Phoenix Suns, which, like, that's a, a crazy way to think about it because, obviously, again, you have to play defense, and that is will continue to be my concern about this team. You, they but gave, they don't have to play defense. They, they do, though. Point. They do, though, because... You look back through this series, right? Let's let's not pretend like, you know, this one game is a sample is a sample size of the entire series. Yeah, they've scored 125 in a, in a loss. Well, sorry, not 125 in a loss. They scored one they scored 130 in a win and 141 in a win. But I think that loss is more indicative of what they're going to have to deal with against the Bucks and the Sixers because both those teams have more firepower than the the Celtics do. They gave up 125 to the Celtics. 125. When they're playing teams who actually have competent personnel out there and not just Jason Tatum, you know, chucking up every shot under the sun because he's your only offensive threat at the moment, you're going to run into a lot more issues. And 125 is a much more plausible thing that can happen. And when the other team is capable of getting stops on you, I again, I I will continue to say this. I do not think the Brooklyn Nets can beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They have shown me nothing, despite the high scoring output, to change my mind. Because to me, they have still not shown a propensity to play good defense. Because those fir- those the first win where the Celtics scored ninety three, and the second win where the Celtics scored one hundred eight, were to me more a. Bad Boston offense? Yeah, it's a referendum on how bad Boston is because they had open shots. And to me, you give the Bucks and the Sixers the amount of open shots the Nets are giving up to the Celtics right now, it's going to be, it's not going to be pretty. And truthfully, I think the Bucks can get them in five or six games. I don't even think it goes seven. Like, I, I, 
I haven't been high on the Nets, and I continue to not be very high on the Nets. And everything I've seen from the Sixers and the Bucks, granted, Sixers against a really bad team, but like the Nets are playing a bad team too. And specifically from the Bucks, who played to me at least a decent team, a better team than the Celtics are, I think the Bucks would would handle the the Nets in a in a seven game series. You talked about us Lakers Suns having polar opposites. This is the other one. I I just don't see them losing four out of seven when you get that kind of offensive output. I don't care if you have, you know, the College of the Blind on defense. If you're the Nets, if you can score that much, it's not going to matter. I'm sorry, especially no Divincenzo. That's going to play a role for the Bucks. Too much offense, and and I think this is an era. You know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago the referendum kind of how much does good offense versus good defense play into it and good offense is going to get theirs every time. So I just like effortless 39 from, I forget who had 39, who had 42. Kyrie today, had 39 and it was effortless like quiet 42 39. from Durant, effortless 39 from Kyrie, you know, Harden, quiet, for Harden. quiet with 23. Like it's, it's laughable. And yeah, they're doing it to Boston and Milwaukee's yeah, Boston sucks. 27 steps ahead of Boston, but it's it's just too easy. It's too easy to score for them. So uh, let me let me do an exercise real quick before okay. we talk about the last team in the East. Uh, first, I want you to rank for me contender the East contenders. Uh, so the Sixers, uh, Nets, and Bucks. Rank them one to three. Likelihood they win the East, and then I want you to give me NBA contenders and give me like the top five if you think there are five teams that could win the East and the, or win the title and order of likelihood they win the title. So you want my likelihood, not who I think is going to win. Correct. Who who is most? Give me most likely to win the title in order. A one, two, three in the East. I'd probably go Sixers, Nets, Bucks, just because Philly would not have to play one of the other two. So oh, I oh, think. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. How about ignoring that fact that. Do like if you had to put your money on it, who's gonna win? Okay, all right. I would go Nets, Sixers, Bucks in the East. Um, and then top five NBA. Yeah. I would probably go Nets, Sixers, Bucks, Jazz, kind of a toss up, and then so, look, you know what you don't need to say anymore. Phoenix five, you, maybe. Yeah, you've gotten to my point. I think whoever wins the East is gonna win the title. Yeah. Be- because to me, when you rank it out, both by the east and then the rest of of the west include it my most likely teams to win the title in order are sixers bucks nets maybe you can swap out you know put the nets second bucks third i don't really have an issue with that because i i really like i think the bucks will handle that series but if you told me like you know you came to me from the future and like the nets won in six i would wouldn't be like oh my god really how'd they do that i'd be like oh so they they went nuclear on offense like even more than i thought they were capable of so like uh, that would be mine is Sixers, Bucks, Nets. And to me, whoever wins the East is going to win the title because the Lakers are banged up. The Suns are young. I will never believe the Utah Jazz can win the NBA title with this team until I act- actually see it with my own eyes and then go to sleep and wake up the next day and it still says they're the NBA champions. I'm not going to believe it. So to me, whoever wins the East is going to win the title. And if it ends up being the Nets, I mean, they will have proven... It, it will have completely changed how we think about basketball because they would have done it with a bad defense. And up until this point, it has been common knowledge, not common knowledge, but accepted knowledge 
you need even you need a passable defense to win the title. They haven't I mean, even had need, a. Pa- you need no, Draymond no, but, Green if you're the Warriors. Like they don't win those titles no. without Draymond on defense, and that's like people talk about their offensive acumen, but you have you have to have an elite defender. That ignores the contributions of Clay Thompson, though. It ignores the contributions of Andre Iguodala off the bench as another good defender. Like people forget, the Warriors had a top five defense every year they won the title. The the Miami Heat had a top five defense every year they won the title. The Spurs that beat them had the number one defense in basketball. Like defense matters, whether or not people want to admit it or not. And I, uh, again, I'm a proponent of like offense is very important, but to me, their offense is not light years ahead of their competitors. Like, yeah, you get 104 from those three guys. That's great. Awesome. Like they, they can probably do that against anybody who guards Joel Embiid. They're a terrible interior defense and who guard Giannis. I, I don't know. I think when it really comes down to it, an inability to guard Joel Embiid and Giannis negates negates what they are able to do on offense because it ends up being a net zero and then the Nets don't have enough defense to stop the role players. I guess we'll just agree to disagree. I, too many weapons for me. I mean, I may be proven wrong and you may hear me singing a different tune eventually, but until I see differently, I'm going to continue to believe that the Brooklyn Nets history, are not going History to certainly favors your argument. Like that I'll say. It, NBA seasons of the past definitely favors you you can't get it done solely on the offensive end. Yeah, g- give give me the Sixers in a seven game series against anyone. I picked them to win the title when the playoffs started. I continue to believe that they are the best team right now in the NBA. Granted, they're they again shellacking a really bad Wizards team, but they're going to get another great matchup in the second round against one of these two teams we're about to talk about. And then, you know, they're going to be I would assume more well rested than whoever they play on the other side of the bracket because I think the Bucks and Nets are going to give them. It's going to be Tyson versus Wilder. They're going to be throwing their hardest punches at each other, trying to knock each other out, and then you're going to get a rested Joel Embiid, and that sounds like a recipe for disaster for whoever gets them. One more note on the Celtics, since this is probably the last time we're talking about them. R.I.P. J- Jason Tatum has been playing superstar level this postseason, and a lot of the especially last year in the bubble, he got a lot of the flack for the Celtics underperforming and specifically in that Miami series. And I think if he can keep up what he's done so far in this postseason and this year, I I think you have seen a big leap from him and he's kind of looking the part in terms of franchise future for the Celtics. And you have to like what you're seeing from him, especially if you can get a healthy Jalen Brown and cough, cough, Danny Ainge, maybe add somebody else. I know that's a foreign concept, but Tatum, Tatum's been, unreal in these playoffs i think we we got to give him credit for that if if nothing else comes from this series i do want to say one more thing about the celtics since you're right this is probably the last time we're going to talk about it i've thought about it more i don't think they need to necessarily add like seeing the performance of tatum i don't think they need to add like an anthony davis level player they just need to fill out this roster in a way that complements these two guys well in a way, like, for example, the Clippers haven't. The Clippers got two of the best wings in the NBA and continue to add more wings to their team. Uh, like, if you're the Celtics, you need to focus on getting a pretty good big man because, again, two point of the guys guard. you got to... Yeah, get a point guard and a pretty good big man because 
the two teams you got to play to get to the finals for the next couple of years are going to end up being the Bucks, the Bucks and the Sixers, and obviously the Nets, but I think they can hang with the Nets because they have two guys in Tatum and Brown who can shoot with them and are also good defenders. So like to me, you get a good center, you get even a passable backup point guard if Kemba can come back into his own, you get some good role players on the bench, you can make this thing work. They're not that far off. It's just a question of what move, do you trust Danny Ainge to make those moves? Because his big signing at last offseason was Tristan Thompson, and that one hasn't looked too great. So I, I just don't know if you can trust him to make the moves. I mean, you look at a team like Utah, what Mike Conley has meant for them. And, you know, not a, a splashy name in free agency necessarily, but you see how how he complements those two stars. And it's just, that's as easy as it has to be. You know, they almost got Miles Turner last year. We were talking about that before we recorded last week. Like, good fit for them. Yeah, and, you know, the pieces are there. It doesn't have to be a superstar. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. You have your foundation. Now build the house. So I wow, that's that might be the best analogy I've ever done on the show. We're just gonna we're gonna leave that one and keep it moving. Tom, let's hit the last matchup of the playoffs that we want to talk about. Again, another series that appears to be over unless uh the Knicks can make history. And that is the Atlanta Hawks are now up three to one. On the New York Knicks, after those first two games, this series looked like it was going to be a a lot of fun with these two teams evenly matched, going back and forth. And frankly, the the Hawks have separated themselves and have shown to be a better basketball team. Trey Young has has become a bit of a I don't want to call him a, a superstar, but like he stepped into the star status where he's making a name for himself against the biggest market in the NBA. I'm not going to say the best team because they most certainly are not. But it just seems like the Knicks haven't really had an answer for what he's been able to bring. I also think they've done a terrible job of exploiting what Trey Young can't do on the offensive end because you put him into pick and roll, he has not a clue what to do. He's awful on defense. But, you know, he's been great on offense and he's been the one propelling the Hawks uh, forward in this series and they're going to end up winning this series. Why they haven't gone at Young is a huge mystery, right? You're spot on with that one, but... You're seeing the lack of perimeter talent with with the Knicks as well, and Atlanta, who who is built almost exclusively on perimeter shooting and exploiting that, and they are phenomenal from three, especially these last two games in Atlanta. And it's a matchup nightmare for the Knicks, and I think we kind of thought, you know, maybe Randall and Barrett would be enough to neutralize that, but Julius Randall's been horrendous in this series. Has not good today though. Yeah, but what what do you have? Twenty. He was seven of nineteen and had twenty three points. Yeah, so good today, seven of nineteen. Better. Good. It, okay. it was better than he's been. Which, congrats, twenty three. He had like twelve of those in the fourth quarter, and they were down by twenty five. Like, come, I know what you're doing, Thibodeau. I know what you're doing. You're padding Randall's stats. I see it. You're not fooling anybody. Down twenty five. Julius Randall's still out there against, I don't know, Lou Will and like the gang with the the Hawks. Like, what are we doing? Come on. I love it. I love I love the fact that the Knicks are struggling. I think that they're not built to win in the postseason right now. And Randall, for all of his success in the regular season, his game, that kind of style of play, hasn't translated yet to the postseason. And in the years to come in the NBA, it's not going to be a style that does translate to the postseason. So they got to figure something out. They got to get something better on the perimeter. Yeah, I think. First of all, credit to the Hawks. They've played well this series. They have exploited matchup problems. You know, John Collins has played well. Trey Young has played well. But 
Trey Young, I'm not as big of a fan on just because he. I've liked him more than I have in the past, but still to me, he shouldn't be chucking up 14 threes a game like he did today. He shot four, 14 from three. To me, he needs to accept he's not Steph Curry and do more of the facilitating. You know, he had nine assists today. I think he had double digit assists in the last couple of games before today. Um, but 27 points, you know, that's what you want from him. I've always been a big John Collins fan, even though he's had a bit of, you know, some issues while he's been in the NBA. Uh, the role players have been good. But on the Knicks for a second, because we haven't talked about them at all. This is low-key a good scenario for them, where you showed you're competent now. You made the playoffs. You were a four seed. You had home court even. You know, you were able to make it into the playoffs, win a playoff game. You just, you're going to get bested by a team who's more talented than you are. Julius Randle though has struggled and he was a bit he was kind of their catalyst during the regular season there's a lot of talk of oh well what kind of max contract is he going to get now the Knicks are going to have to pay to keep him what kind of precedent does it set to let him walk maybe you can get him on a discount now because you see him struggling in the postseason other teams are going to see that and say well we can't trust Julius Randle in the postseason either so why would we shell out a max contract for Julius Randle if you're the Knicks this might have played in your favor where you can get Julius Randle now on a bit of a discount, leave yourself some room to operate and get some more to try and get a star player going forward. Let RG Barrett develop a little more. You keep the cap open. If he blossoms into your best player, it just leaves a lot of flexibility if you don't have to give Julius Randle some outrageous contract that frankly, he's a nice player but he's not going to be deserving of whatever if he had gotten that massive contract. He he his talent level wouldn't have not have been comparable. I would I don't want to say not deserving because he balled this year. He's deserving of whatever he gets paid. Flip side of that too is you're going to get at least three playoff games at the Garden. You know, potential free agents are seeing how good that crowd is in New York, and and certainly if you're a big name, it, it could be a team that has the pieces. If you're a pure scorer around you that that you have to kind of be attracted to and Knicks basketball I don't want to say they're back but there there's more hope on the horizon than there's been since you know maybe even the pre-Carmelo Anthony days so they're not I don't I don't think they're quite up on the level of of those Eastern Conference contenders in the next few years but they can get into the conversation I think the tough thing for them is this might be their peak like fourth in the East might kind of be where they're just going to have to be at for the next few years because of how talented the rest of that conference is. Unless you can make a move for a big time player like that. If you can somehow say one becomes available via trade. Who are you going to get though? Like this, we were were looking through the names this year, at least the, the free agent classes, Eh, who are you going to, I guess you have trade capital if you want some of those young pieces, but the, 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 like, I think when you and I looked at it, the first like star player we could find that will probably become available is Jason Tatum. And we don't even know if he's going to actually become available or not. It all depends kind of, I think, of what if Jalen Brown ends up staying. I think it then becomes far more likely Jason Tatum would stay. But even that is very iffy in the next couple of years. So, like, you know, there's seems to be some interest in Zion going to New York, but we saw LeBron do that dance for years where, oh man, I love New York, love playing in the garden, no better place to play basketball. And then, you know, he just kept dangling that piece well, Zion, of meat out in front of Knicks fans and then just never Zion's went. not really what they need though. They just need a star to me. You need somebody to like, 
interesting name I'll throw out there. I don't. He's not a free agent, but he could be a trade piece. What about Bradley Beal on this team? Julius Randle is the one who kind of runs the offense. You need a guy like Beal who can go out there and get 30 in a big playoff game. What about Bradley Beal? I, I don't think he moves the needle enough to to like win a title or even be a title contender, but like you you might be able to beat the Hawks with Bradley Beal, which again, if you can show progress, continue to move forward, win a playoff series, I think it shows free agents, okay, this team knows what they're doing. They're not complete idiots anymore. There's there's someone behind there in front of uh, James Dolan who who knows what they're doing and they have the keys of the car now, not James Dolan. I think there I think there's a little bit of a parallel too with you know to what Philly has kind of done and, and Boston to a lesser extent over the past few. You know, Philly gets, you know, first round loss, a couple, you know, they lose. They they get beaten in the second round by Boston, they get beaten in the second round by Toronto, but like they're they're getting better every year and the Celtics, you know, lose in the first round a couple of years, and they're getting to the conference finals and they're getting closer and closer to the finals. That could be the path for the Knicks. It's just that next step that it feels like Philly has been able to make and Boston wasn't able to make is kind of where they fall in that spectrum. The the issue, only issue there with the comparison, the reason the Sixers could make that leap is because they had a top 10 player in Joel Embiid and a top 20, 25 player in Ben Simmons, which then allowed them to say, all right, you know, we got the pieces here now to win. Let's make a move for Tobias Harris, make a move for Jimmy Butler. Let's go for it, which I think showed teams, well, look how good this team is. They competed with, that. no team took them took the Toronto Raptors farther in a series than that Sixers team. So it showed the potential. The Knicks don't have that guy. That guy you look to and go, he's the one I want to go join. He's the guy I want to go be. Which is why I said a name like Zion. Because then you have that guy. You have a top 10 guy who you look at and you go, that's the guy I want to go play with. They don't have that guy right now who you say, I want to go play with him, which is the issue. Uh, maybe they can get him somehow. Again, trade, free agency, which... Thinking back, it actually would be super interesting if they had gotten Anthony Davis in a trade instead of the Lakers because he was the Knicks were the other team he wanted to go to. I love this alternate reality where Anthony Davis was a Nick instead of a Laker because I think it's just interesting now where they are. But, you know, again, we've seen Julius Randle as your second option on a playoff team. It was that Pelicans team that lost in the first round. Like he needs to be your third option. Maybe Barrett can become your second option, but you need to figure out who your first option is. And they don't have it on the team right now. They're, none of these guys have star, superstar potential. No, I mean, your, your best player in the series has been Derek Rose. So not going to get Man. you, not going to get you very far in the NBA playoffs here and now. 33 minutes on those knees, and that was like one of the lower amount of minutes in this series. I mean, uh, promising Obi Toppin at 13 points in this one, five of eight. He's looked pretty good this playoff series. I mean, he like he doesn't have high output numbers, but he's he's been energetic, brings a lot of juice. I feel like he's been fun to watch. So it it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, future of the NBA, I think, if nothing else, has been on full display this postseason. Oh yeah, Joel Embiid has been killer. Uh, actually, just on that team, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have both been absolutely killer. Giannis has been a killer. Uh, you have the old guys again on the Nets, but John Morant, awesome. Trey Young has been awesome. Donovan Mitchell, awesome. Jason Tatum has been awesome. Like Luca, Luca has been awesome. Uh, Nikola Jokic, he's a young guy still in that in that category of people. He's proven himself, but he's still young. He's he doesn't been, win the MVP though. Come on. 
Yeah, he's about he's about to win the. He's MVP. A, he's a step above those guys. So so is Embiid also a step above those guys? Embiid, he's, I'd throw Embiid, Jokic, like Tatum. Tatum is kind of fringe. Booker's been balling though. DeAndre Ayton, like a lot of young guys have been really good, and it, you can see the NBA's in good hands. Uh, whenever LeBron decides to hang it up, the problem always is though, who's gonna take the mantle from LeBron as face of the NBA? My guess is it's Zion. I don't think he's going to be the best player in the NBA. I think he'll be the face of the league, though, because he's charismatic. He's exciting. People really like him. But you got to win titles to be the face of the NBA. So I don't know. I have no idea who the face. I want it to be Luka, but again, not very verbal. Yeah, I don't know. What about Embiid? Oh, I'd, I'd love it. And they would love that because he sells games. He He's loud. He is not afraid to share his opinion. He's fun. Like, he's a guy people can get behind. Where even LeBron, like, LeBron was polarizing. I think well, so Embiid, is Embiid. He's polarizing in different ways. Embiid is polarizing solely on the basketball court. He, he doesn't do a lot off the court that polarizes, in my opinion. And I think part of the LeBron appeal and why people watch him is because he's polarizing off the court. People want to see him fail. And I think people, and again... It's different. I think you'd get that with Embiid too because of how he is on the court. They'd want to see him fail because of how brash he is, you know, the the taunting the crowd, you know, wants to hear the booze. He talks after the, the game about the thrusting. Yeah. Yeah, he talks after the game about how he likes hearing the booze. It gets him going. Like that is what you want from the face of the NBA. And I could see it. I hadn't maybe it's because I see him so often, I don't think about it. He is probably the most likely next face of the nba and if they win the title this year i i think just just call it you can call him the the future face of the nba post lebron james he's only one you need a personality to be that and he's the only one who has it yeah and none of the nets guys like they're kind of tail end of their popularity too i think it's got to be one of those younger guys so and a great maybe. candidate yeah Giannis could be but again he i i don't think people like again he's not polarizing to me everyone likes Giannis. Yeah, I don't. I, I, yeah, that's fair. Like you need a guy who like people can love, but people can really hate. And I feel like Embiid likes being the villain. Philadelphia, about- Philadelphia is a very hateable city too. I feel like Philadelphia is a hateable city. L.A. is a hateable city. New York is a hateable city. Boston, like those are kind of like the big four. I think in terms of where you want your villain to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kobe was a villain for a long time. Like, beloved, obviously, by Lakers fans, but that's what works. Is he's I mean, Jordan was certainly a villain. Yeah, like, a, these are massive markets. Like, Embiid, I, I like the Embiid one. I'm just going to leave it at that. I think Embiid's a great uh, candidate for future face of the league. But again, you got to win titles. And if he wins it this year, we can start really having the conversation. Also, I can't wait for us to crown the Talgo MVP at the end of the year. I'm still thinking about it. I think about it every day. The NBA is starting to give out some of their awards. Uh, so far, if for those keeping track at home, uh, most improved player, I'm pretty sure we both got wrong. I don't remember what our picks were, but we didn't pick Julius Randle. I know that for a fact. Uh, sixth man of the year, uh, we were also wrong because I most certainly did not say Jordan Clarkson. I actually, I actually I have my picks up. Uh, I can find mine somewhere. I think I wrote them down somewhere. Uh, you can, I mean, who did you have for sixth man of the year? And uh, I actually don't, I don't have sixth man written down. I'm not realizing, which is too bad. Um, I had Luca for MVP, not a bad pick, but you know, I think I did as well. That one's not going to happen. Pick doc for coach of the year, which I'll take, you know, not going to win it, but 
Not but a terrible a good one. pick. Exec good of pick. the year, Daryl Morey. He might win it. I had KD for comeback player. He will win it. I had Obi Toppin for rookie of the year. It's not going to happen. And then I had the Lakers over the Nets, which I have abridged to the Nets over the Suns. So I took, yeah, my, I took my playoff mulligan. I'll have to find our picks later because I know I wrote them down somewhere. I just am not sure if it's in this pad of paper and I don't want people to have to listen to me shuffle through paper or if it's all on my phone. So I'll find it before the next episode. We can relitigate our uh, all of our picks because I don't think they were great. But I will be excited for us to crown Talgo MVP once the NBA finals are completed. I mean, leader of the clubhouse, still Chris Paul. So, oh, no, no, no. Currently leader in the clubhouse is Joel Embiid. Stop it. Stop it. Leader in the clubhouse. And All right, your leader in the clubhouse is Chris Paul, or mine is Chris Paul, yours is Joel Embiid. For the record, uh, I, I've seen some conversation about this on Twitter. This will be the last thing before we go. Is Nikola Jokic just winning the participation trophy this year? The No, sorry, the perfect attendance award? Because I feel like all year, right, we had other guys who were like, oh, they're the MVP, and then... They just got hurt, and so it's like, oh, well, I guess we'll give it to Jokic because he's playing. But, like, Embiid had an arguably better season than Nikola Jokic did. Uh, You and I both think Chris Paul is more valuable than Nikola Jokic is. LeBron James was second to Embiid before he got hurt. Like, it it feels like it's it's a perfect attendance award. I mean, James Harden was getting MVP talk. He went out for a while, like... Bottom line is how valuable are you to the team if you're not playing? So a certain part of that is you got to play all year, and, and Jokic has done that. And that, that certainly helps him compared to some of the other guys. If everyone's healthy all year, he's you know not going to win the MVP, but that's value. You, you can't be valuable to your team if you're sitting on the bench. So you got to give it to him whether that's a good argument or not. You know what? This is why we give the award after the NBA Finals because – if you miss some regular season games, but then you're Don't you're matter. back for the playoffs and then you win the title, that's what that's value right there. So the Talgo MVP will continued continue to be crowned at the end of the postseason. But Tom, that brings us to the end of a very long episode. I didn't expect us to go this long, but as we started recording, I realized like most of these series, specifically in the East, are over. So there's a lot to talk about about like future matchups and like looking forward. Uh, but Tom. Final thoughts on this very long episode of There's a Lot Going On. I think I did a fair assessment of the playoffs. My one mulligan is, is New York. I, I, w- I would like to have the Knicks pick back. But uh, other than that, you know, I, I regret nothing about picking the Grizzlies. So shout out Ja for making me making me feel good about that one, for for making that series interesting, if nothing else. So a lot of fun basketball, a lot of fun first round matchups still, still to come. And it's wide open. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think looking back, to go on that same note, the Knicks, bad pick by us, but we both just failed on that one. My other pick, though, that might not end up being right, that I still don't hate, was the Nuggets against the Blazers. Uh, Because I had had said, you know, Michael Porter Jr. has been balling. Other than today, he has continued to do that. And so my reasoning was right. I just ignored the whole terrible backcourt thing without Jamal Murray. And they have no depth. I mean... That was even with Jamal Murray. They didn't have great depth. So that might be my one mulligan. As I, I wish I could go back and pick the Blazers. And then I could have rooted even harder for Damian Lode than I already am. Man has won me a couple of sports bets. So I can't be too mad at him. Good thing. Didn't bet on him the other day, though, when he uh, gave that clunker of 10 points and 10 assists. But, you know, we, we know which ones to stay away from. But, Tom, that brings us to the end of another edition 
Um, there's a lot going on. You know what you got to do. Go on to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. While you're down there in the show notes, make sure you go and follow us on Twitter at TalgoPod. Tom and I's Twitter is also linked in the show notes of this episode. But for now, that's Tom Shively. I'm David Arroyo. We'll catch you back here next week for another edition of There's a Lot Going On.